Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to Snake Oil Radio here on Blog Talk Radio. Thanks for joining me today. Uh, this is your host, Jim Ventura. If it is your first time tuning into the show, uh, welcome. Uh, it's also, I'll say welcome if it's your second or third time tuning into the show. Uh, basically, uh, a little bit of back about the show, and uh, we're here uh, live uh, just about every Thursday of the month, usually around 3.30 Mountain Time. Uh, usually we do about a 40-minute show here uh, for Snake Oil Radio. Sometimes I do a little longer when I do interview shows. Uh, and uh, again, I'm, I'm Jim Ventura. The, uh, the Snake Oil column is where the show originated from. I have been a, uh, a blog columnist for a good seven years now and writing a column called Snake Oil. In fact, uh, Snake Oil Volume 1 will be published toward the end of this year. Uh, you can get information about that on my, my website and the web link, which is on the site. And also, uh, I'm a writer who wrote a book a few years back called Dirty Little Secrets that's also available. So uh, if you receive my monthly column, uh, you'll kind of have a little bit of an understanding of what Snake Oil is all about. Uh, if you're not already getting the monthly column, uh, feel free to email me at VenturaSag at Yahoo.com or at VenturaWords at Mac.com, and I'll add you to the mailing list so you can get the column uh, for free every month. Uh, I am a uh, what I like to call a navigational consultant. My expertise is in astrology and numerology and tarot and animal cards and runestones, and I have been doing uh, consultations with clients for almost 20 years now. Uh, here in my home office in Phoenix, and of course I do do uh, private consultations by phone for people who are out of area. Again, all of that information can be uh, gotten on, on my website or by contacting me directly for info about that. Uh, anyway, so today's show, this is the first show of the month. Um, happy August to everyone. Maybe not so happy if you're living in Phoenix. We've got about 111 degrees here today. Uh, fortunately, it's 78 degrees in my air-conditioned home, so I'm not really being affected by it, but just knowing it's so hot out there is a little depressing. But I think that there's a lot of um, a lot of that going on around the country, too, and even in areas that aren't normally this hot are getting hit pretty heavy this time. So uh, anyway, it's uh, our first, uh, first show of the, uh, the month, and I always like to read my current column live on air and then talk a little bit about it. Um, then I will open up the phone lines. Uh, I certainly, any of the uh, any of the people uh, that are listening live, um, I'd lo- certainly love to hear your opinions and perspective on what we're talking about today. And um, if not, um, a little on de- later on down the line, I'll also open the phone lines. And if anyone has any, they want a quick, a quick, quick personal question for a quick five-minute mini reading, I'll open up the phone lines again in about 20 minutes to be able to do that. First, I'd like to start literally talking about our column. Uh, for this month. And actually, this particular column was actually written back in 2008. In fact, if you go way back into the archives of my show, uh, you'll catch that I actually did a show with this column in mind on one of the earlier shows a little over three years ago. So uh, I decided to do a repeat because I thought it was appropriate. And um, uh, you know, it's funny because I mentioned this in the column that when I wrote the piece, uh, actually when I was looking for the piece, I was looking to do a kind of a lighter piece um, for the month of August. Um, then as I kind of reread it, I was like, well, I don't know if it's necessarily a light piece. It has its humor, but uh, definitely it kind of brings up some interesting insights and ideas. So uh, let's start off by, by reading uh, this month's column. It's called A Little Paul in All of Us. 
we have a monster living among us in my condominium complex. Well, maybe the word monster is a bit excessive, dramatic title for a human being. But in some ways, he does earn this tag. A few weeks ago, I looked out the window while cooking my breakfast on a Sunday morning. I observed Paul using the back part of a large pool skimmer in a way it wasn't meant to be used. He'd be shoving the skimmer as high as he could reach into the palm tree that sits in front of his condominium home. Clearly his goal was to knock a bird's nest out of the tree. He told me a few weeks before that he was sick of the bird droppings on his sidewalk and the sound of their loud chirping in the mornings. A few weeks before this, he told me he had called the police late in the afternoon because the six- to nine-year-old children who live in the apartment complex next door were playing, laughing, and screaming too loudly. Apparently, he was trying to take a nap. In addition, if all of those things weren't hateful enough, he used some distasteful yet colorful words to describe the nationality of the kids. Paul's only in his early 30s, but he often acts like a cliche, grumpy, bigoted old man. I made an effort to be a, uh, a few months back to befriend him. I wanted to focus on the good that must be inside of him. I optimistically thought that I could help bring out some of those good features. However, every time I talk with him, the experience is excruciating. Typical conversations inevitably lead toward how pissed off Paul was at my asshole brother who I haven't spoken to in two years, my idiot friend who doesn't return my calls, my stupid employer who is trying to screw me over again. We should call the Homeowners Association to get this landscaper fired. Paul is quite the cynic. Well, he does show occasional insight, but clearly seeing contradiction as all cynics do, he often focuses too heavily on denigrating everything. I was recently told by another neighbor that Paul asked the hardworking 25-year-old landscaper who comes here every two weeks if he was hiring any new employees. The landscaper told him that he barely had enough work for himself and wasn't hiring. Paul told him that he was uh, a member of the the property's board and needed a key for the sprinkler box. Understandably, the landscaper gave the key to him. Paul secretly snuck out every few nights and sabotaged the sprinklers by turning them off. The plants in the lawn began to die and took weeks before anyone figured out what was going on. It is probable that Paul's goal was to get the landscaper fired so that he could be offered the job instead. Currently, Paul is being paid by our board to maintenance the pool. He constantly complains about every aspect of this job. His most recent antic had been to put a large lock with a chain. He posted uh, a large lock and chain around the pool entrance, blocking anyone from going into the pool. Along, uh, uh, along with the chain, he posted a sign that said, Pool closed, water levels too low. After a week or two, the pool turned green and filled with leaves. To give more emphasis to his performance, he contacted the state health department to report the green pool so we would get fined. I've worked hard to avoid being a judgmental person. It's a characteristic that is something I easily recognize as arrogant and not something I want to be part of me. Still, when people like Paul are in my face, it's quite the test to not only want to judge, but to restrain myself from strangling him. I think that every neighborhood has their own version of Paul. Whether you live in an apartment complex, trailer park, condominium home, or house, there always seems to be a one least, one, at least one miserable case. You have to wonder who volunteers to be this type of person. Is there a union for these types of people? Do they plan to spend a lifetime being completely nasty before birth? Or do the conditions of life just turn them into toxic people? Do they even know that they are reprehensible? 
Either way, they have to be dealt with when they are around us. The toughest part for me is knowing that Paul mirrors some elements that are inside of me. From a metaphysical perspective, the people in our lives bother us most when they are mirroring buried attributes inside of us in an exaggerated way. While it may be uncomfortable to own this reality, it's good work to examine these parts of ourselves. Because we see someone evil doesn't mean we're evil. It usually means that we are in denial of abilities that would allow us to handle our own similar situations around the so-called evil in a better, more productive way. I thought about a few times when I believed I was being mistreated. In turn, I behaved in an obnoxious way. One of the worst things that came to my mind was something that happened to me when I was 19. I tainted a very close friend's reputation. I did this for a number of reasons that made sense to me, and I never apologized to resolve my vicious actions. The attack came from an unrequited crush on a straight buddy. I was angry and resentful that he didn't feel the same way I did. In addition, I remembered some other things I did in my early 20s that were poor decisions. At the time, I rationalized why this behavior was okay. I used the same logic Paul uses now. That it's okay to retaliate when we believe retaliate when we believe someone is mistreating us. I actually felt better about myself after looking at my past mistakes. All things considered, I've been a good person through the majority of my life. And with age and wisdom, I've become even more honorable. The only thing in my life right now that makes me feel a little Paul-like is my resentment over my credit card debt. I often complain about how manipulative the banks are. I'm definitely not in a good place around this subject. As obnoxious as Paul's behavior has been, he inadvertently served a valuable purpose for me. I decided to take the opposite approach to handling the situation with my debt. I shifted my perceptions around this subject and released my anger and obsessive focus on the problem. Not surprisingly, solutions to my credit card issue immediately began to show up and things have really improved. It is now clearer than ever that when people hold resentment, anger, and frustration in any area, we often block resolution from coming to us. Very few of us can say we've never done any bad things in our entire lives. We've all had times when we say or do things we later regret. We say vile things to our mate or our children. We justify rude comments or behaviors because we aren't feeling well or they had it coming. We occasionally lie or distort the truth. We slander our coworkers, our boss, because we feel we have a right to. We hold grudges and we fail to forgive. We do things that we know aren't the right action, but we justify it because of what is being done to us. The simple truth is, there is a little Paul in all of us. Paul recently lost his job cleaning our pool. The homeowners association hired a new pool service that is doing a good job. Paul seems to be hiding out and no one sees much of him lately. His antagonistic theatrics seem to be on hiatus. I remember reading a book when I was 12 called The Wrinkle in Time by Madeline L. Engel. It was a fascinating children's book about time travel and one of my first connections to metaphysical ideas. Like in many archetypal stories about good overcoming evil, the characters find a way to beat the monster. In this case, it's a giant brain that controls everyone around it with, its, with fear. By turning our minds Turning their minds away from the giant brain and ignoring its dark powers are able to escape its control. There's a clear reason why this theme is so prevalent in children's stories and movies with thousands of similar variations. There is real truth in the power to turn away from darkness. Lately, no one seems to be paying attention to our monster. It seems he's losing his dark powers and growing smaller. Last I heard, he's thinking of moving away. Okay, so that's my column. That's a piece that I wrote 
back in June of 2008. And uh, again, a relevant piece, I think, at, at multiple levels, uh, a little tough to hear. I know I actually have about 800 people that get my monthly column now. And when I originally wrote that, I actually had two people that asked to be removed from my column after reading that. You know, I learned a long time ago to not necessarily take things personally. I and mean, people, for different reasons, come and go, uh, uh, you know, in, the, in terms of subscribing to my column. Same thing with, with clients that I work with. Sometimes I see people for a while and then they disappear. You know, the things that people do are generally not about us. But I kind of kind of laugh when I had two people vehemently remove themselves from my mailing list by reading this because I thought, if you're not even in an evolved enough place in your life to own that we've all done some dumb, dark things on occasion, then to me it means you're probably doing a lot of dumb, dark things still <laughs> in that sense. And I mean, and, and I, I've mentioned this before in, on previous shows and when I talk to people that, you know, the word sin originally meant uh, to miss the mark. So when we sin, when we make mistake, you know, it's, the analogy is if you're, if you're shooting at a bullseye and you don't hit it in the middle right away, it means that you've got to practice and learn to become a better marksman. And, you know, the same thing could really apply to any area of life. I mean, I think that when we do something, quote, unquote, bad, really, you know, its larger purpose is to be able to uh, really, really find a way to kind of behave more harmoniously in the future. I mean, that's the whole point of it. You know, I mentioned in this particular story that when I was younger, uh, I had this kind of crush on someone, and it was not reciprocated. So, of course, I said nasty things and, and you know, uh, very lousy what I did at the time. But I was hurt. I was 19 years old. You know, I mean, I was kind of a dummy um, in that sense. And But what I, I can definitely tell you is even after I did it, I felt like I had the right to because I had felt abused. But even after a very, very brief, short amount of time, it really, really dawned on me that I really was in the wrong, that even if someone had done something that I didn't appreciate, you know, I, don't ever, I really just never wanted to become that type of person that is mean and antagonistic and dark. And, you know, I always kind of say that to people, too. Um, you know, every single one of us can look over our lives and, and see periods where we've had some element of mistreatment or where someone wasn't kind to us or or was uh, treated us poorly. It would be miraculous if you've skated through life without having any of that kind of uh, stuff go on. Um, I wrote about uh, a very extreme level of abuse that I had dealt with in my first book, Dirty Little Secrets, from a criminal that I lived with who stole from me and impersonated my identity and Oh, my God, it was a disaster. And I forgave that person. I mean, it wasn't the easiest thing to do. But what I recognized was that, you know, when we forgive, we're not really, really forgiving the person necessarily for what they did or excusing the behavior. That is something that is kind of really, in many cases, especially in extreme cases, kind of a futility. To be able to completely, um, you know, if someone has done something severely abusive or hurt us or some people that we love in a really intense kind of a way, it can be difficult to really completely forgive. But what forgiveness is, it, and, you know, most of us don't have the more toxic things have to forgive anyway, but, but what we forgive for the uh, ability and the, uh, the experience of not having to carry the anguish and the anger anymore. When we carry those things in our body, 
in our psyche, emotionally and psychologically, you know, we feel heavy and we feel miserable and we feel angry. And, you know, and the simple truth of life is we only have a certain amount of creative energy every day of our lives. And how much of it are you going to pump toward being pissed off or being angry about something that has happened in your past? So I think that that's really, really a significant thing to contemplate. Um, so forgiveness really is about, you know, releasing yourself from the toxemia of carrying the emotion and the tag that's behind the abuse. We're not, again, we're not excusing the people or the circumstances and saying and pretending that they were good, you know, but we, we're recognizing that, you know, uh, Difficult things happen, people make mistakes, bad crap occurs, and that we really want to spend the rest of our lives feeling harmonious and peaceful in that sense. You know, uh, when I had my, my criminal from years ago who stole from me and all of those things, uh, you know, it's funny because one of the strongest pieces I have as a writer in my book is writing a piece about this particular criminal. And I didn't write the piece to attack him. In that sense, I wrote the piece because I knew that many of my readers would identify with dealing with similar types of of, of energy, similar types of, of a difficult experience as well. I mean, I think most of us have had a friend or a lover or a partner that we could maybe at some point put in the criminal category, whether they were an actual criminal criminal or just emotionally or psychologically, you know, <laughs> not the nicest human being. But um, I think we've all had some element of that in one capacity or another. But, you know, what's funny about me having dealt with that issue was, you know, um, that was a big part of launching me to be a writer. And, you know, had I not had that difficult experience, I may not have been as adamant about writing and, and beginning to work on that as, as a therapy for myself and as an influence for other people. And I know from, from many, many years of doing counseling work with people, um, through my uh, my oracle readings, um, you know, I've, I've really, really found that a lot of people identified with that story, and it made it easier for them to listen to me, to hear me, to understand what they were going through. So, I mean, all events are interconnected. We we have experiences that are not always necessarily positive ones at the time, but you know, down the line, if we're able to transform ourselves through those experiences. And, and really, um, you know, begin to see the positive or how it helped us, even if it, all that it does is help you to recognize that you're absolutely not going to become like that type of a person. You know what I mean? You know, I, I see this a lot with parents, and this is a great example of this. You know, a lot of people who, had, who didn't have the best of parents or a bad parent will either become a lousy parent themselves because they're angry and unconscious about it, or what, what many people do, which and what I think is awesome, by the way, is many people who had a bad parent make a decision to become a better parent, to become someone who is, you know, I mean, who's a, who, who's more loving and more giving and, and more generous and more tolerant and all of those things. So that's kind of an awesome thing. Again, it, it it'll come out of a difficult experience, unfortunately, though. So we may hope that we didn't have to go through that in the first place. Say, for instance, we had like a dad who hit us. Or something. We may become a dad or a mom that just absolutely just doesn't hit their children at all and, and release that type of pattern in the first place of, of physical abuse. You can discipline and punish someone without necessarily physically hitting them, and I cannot recommend that enough. Uh, it's just one of those areas where I think sometimes people are a little off kilter on, on their perceptions about that. But again, it takes that 
energy of, of the discomfort to often get us to see it from another angle and another perspective. Now, the good news in life is you don't have to have difficulty to teach you to be a good person either. You know, I mean, I think that uh, for, for many of us, um, when we were treated with love and with respect, we also absorb those characteristics and emotions. So it can work from both levels, but preferable to work from, from good to stay good. But when we do have difficulty, again, we can use it to transform us. And what I had talked about in this piece, a little Paul from all of us, and kind of the point that I'm getting at here is, you know, this character that, that lives in my condominium complex. Now, I wrote this piece, by the way, three years ago, a little over three years ago, so he still actually lives here. And, you know, it's funny, though, but no one ever sees him. I think he, he got a nine-to-five job. You don't see very much of him. He's not on the board in the condo complex anymore. He's kind of an invisible commodity, not creating any difficulty anymore. But, you know, there was a while when he was in the spotlight because he was so nasty. It was like he was gaining recognition by being, you know, the, the guy that takes his, takes his BB guns and shoots birds and and cats in the parking lot or knocking birds' nests out of trees or getting the uh, pool guy fired or any of the other theatrics that he has he has done. So he used the negative to get recognition in that sense. And, and again, I, I mention this to anyone that has children. They know that even with children, sometimes your children will... will be so desperate for recognition and acknowledgement that, again, in some cases they may use negative behavior to get recognized and to get some type of a reaction. So even adults do this as well, too, sadly enough. Okay, I'm going to keep talking on this particular subject. One, I want to interject for a moment here, because we've still got about 20 minutes on the show, to, to welcome uh, everyone who is listening live, and also, of course, for everyone who listens in the archives. I know a lot of people catch my show later on in their archives because I'm on kind of at a weird time during the day. I think a lot of people are still at work. And, of course, a special welcome to everyone um, who is jumping in and out of my um, chat room. So uh, feel free to say hello and any uh, make any comments uh, you feel uh, <laughs> that you'd like. Um, also, I'd like to uh, open up the phone lines if you have um, if you're listening live. Uh, obviously, you're not going to be able to do this if you're listening on an archive. But uh, if you're listening live and you have a question or a comment about what we're talking about today, uh, absolutely welcome hearing your input. Um, also, um, I always do open up the phone lines for the last. Uh, 20 minutes of the show in case anyone also really has a, a personal question that they want to ask on air. I can only do like a five-minute MIDI reading, pull a quick oracle for you, but, you know, it could give you some insight, so you're absolutely welcome to do that as well, too. So the call-in number here is 646-200-3966. You might need to dial a 1 before that. Again, that's 646-200-3966. So if anybody wants to call in, in the next uh, 15 minutes or so, um, we'll, we're, we'll, we're down with uh, we'll seeing what we can uh, uh, talk with you about. Uh, and if not, you can continue to listen to me chat. I, I Certainly uh, anyone who knows and has heard me before knows I have no problem talking. So in the meantime, I will continue on with this particular subject and launch into a few other things. Now, uh, you know, in this subject that I've been talking about, about um, a little Paul and all of us, the point that I think I was really, really trying to get across is, you know, uh, it, it always seems that whatever, whether you live in, an, in a neighborhood, whether you live in a trailer park or a condominium complex or, you know, I mean, wherever you necessarily live, for the most part, there always seems to be some person who takes kind of this role of the antagonist or the difficult individual. 
I think we can see the same thing happen sometimes even in job situations where you can work a job and then have that one person that's always miserable or or creating some type of challenge or, or some type of anger or some type of controversy in that sense. So one of the things that I kind of wanted to point out in this piece is, and not the easiest thing, I guess, for us to look at is, you know, when we encounter these people that are so difficult, that are so antagonistic, that are, are so um, angry at the world in that sense, I think they play out a role for all of us at some level. Because, uh, you know, like I, I had said in the piece, a little poll in all of us, when we, you know, when we're really looking at developing our, our spiritual wisdom and knowledge, we have to look at the good and the bad. And, you know, uh, and the bad is definitely a subjective thing. But we've all kind of been there at some point in our lives where we've done kind of something that was childish or we felt victimized, so we kind of victimized someone else or mistreated someone around us. If you've done that, you know, just for the record, you're a normal person. <laughs> you don't have to feel bad about yourself as a human being. Again, I mean, the point of a mistake is that it's really, really meant to help us, hopefully, to not make future mistakes. So we've all, we all have done this at some level and at different points, especially when we're younger. I know, you know, for me, I'm, I'm in my, my mid-40s now, and... Um, you know, I think about some of the things I did in my early 20s, and I was actually already a fairly spiritually evolved person. I was I started studying metaphysics and spirituality when I was in my, uh, boy, like 17, 18. I mean, I started fairly young. Um, but, you know, even with my quote-unquote enlightenment, there were times when I did kind of lousy, terrible things along the way. In fact, I, I talked a little bit about some of these things in, in my uh, my first book, Dirty Little Secrets. And if you haven't already read my book, my book's not expensive and it's a great book. You can order it through Amazon, Dirty Little Secrets by Jim Ventura, or you can just contact me through my web um, and uh, and have me uh, send you out a copy. Either I have it on, on audio disc where you can listen to it or in, reg or in print. In either case, of course, I'll sign a copy for you as well and get that out to you. Um, but what I, I had mentioned about it is I, I had d done some of these like terrible little type of things when I was younger. In fact, I was just talking about this with a client today. I'm really, really good at um, cards. Like when I was a kid, I used to play a lot of card games, and I was really good at shuffling cards and playing cards. And I'm now, of course, as a tarot reader, uh, <laughs> my skill in, in, in shuffling cards and using them is, is really, really quite good. So uh, I have uh, developed a certain mastery from practice in that area. I used to be able to do card tricks. In fact, when I was much younger, I, I think I, there was a time when I wanted to be a magician at some level. But what's also funny is you know, there was a little bit of a darker element to my card playing that existed in my past, too, because when I was maybe 15, 16, I used to play poker with my friends. And I was raised in a family where there were seven kids in our family, and I had a dad who made decent money, and I had a good stay-at-home mother. But, you know, money was very tight because it was such a large family. So I had friends that, you know, they were given huge allowances. They were given um, uh, money by their parents. I never got any money from my parents. I had to work for everything that I got, which, by the way, in the long haul was a good thing. But at the time, I resented the fact that my friends got, you know, my parents would give them 20 bucks. I never had anything. So... What I did when we played poker is I taught myself how to deal off the bottom of the deck. 
So I would always stack the cards in my favor when we played. I'd always give myself an extra wild card or a strong card when I played. So, of course, I got this reputation for being a really, really good poker player, and a lot of times I won. Well, the truth is, it was kind of an element of thievery. I mean, I, I, you know, I, I won a little more often than I should have because I had learned to do this, and it really was wrong. You know, and it's so funny because even by the time I was in my early 20s and certainly where I am now, like I would never, never cheat at any level because the whole idea of it makes my skin crawl. Like to win that way is just not a joyful win. You know what I mean? I know that now, but I didn't know it at the time. And psychologically, emotionally, where I was at at that point was I rationalized my ability to scam my friends a little bit because they got more money than me and they had it easier than me. So I had a right because I was so smart to finagle, a uh, very New York type of word, by the way, to finagle or, um, or, or scam them a little bit out of the money. And, you know, I, again, I rationalized it. In fact, I've, I've talked about this before. It's very interesting because often when you talk to prisoners, people who are criminals or in jail, often, uh, almost exclusively, you know, 95% of them had experiences where they were mistreated, whether they were treated poorly. So stealing, robbing, you know, doing things that are, are illegal in that sense, were their justification for that they had a right to because they were mistreated. So, you know, we, we see this in the more extreme case, uh, and it's easy to notice it there, but sometimes it's harder to see it when we're looking at ourselves. And, you know, again, that's what I had meant to really, really introduce with this piece was that absolutely, yeah, there's a little pull in all of us. We all have had times when we've, we've come up with these type of rationalizations for our behavior. And, you know, I, I think wisdom is really, really in learning that, you know, kind of what comes around goes around. If you mistreat others, you'll be mistreated. You know, I think I, I had a client today who was, was struggling a lot with this very type of thing. There was, um, there was some influence from, uh, that had to do with the death of her family members where someone was a little bit shady in relation to that experience, and she was very understandably carrying a lot of anger around the issue, even though it had been a few years ago. And what she had asked me and she had said to me, and it was a really very legitimate question to ask and, and, and very, you know, one I was happy to answer for her. She said, but, you know, this person who did this is, you know, their life is good. They're absolutely not experiencing any, any disharmony, um, and that's not fair. And I said, you know, it's funny because when you talk about the influence of something like karma, um, you know, karma is about the idea that, you know, there's a, there's a balance energy that exists within the universe. So, but the thing about karma is, you know, karma isn't always necessarily immediate. Somebody may do something bad or difficult, and then it's years before it, quote, unquote, catches up with them. You know, sometimes it's more immediate. I mean, the good news also is there's certainly things like philopathic karma. When you do good deeds and good acts, you don't do them because you're hoping to get um, things back. Ideally, you know what I mean? But um, it does work that way. The more you're, if you're generous and if you're good, often that energy will come back to you at some point as well. Again, I think we have to find a line between being generous and good and not necessarily being martyred or victimized or giving to people that are unscrupulous. And that sometimes can be a harder line to kind of a follow. 
in that sense. But yeah, karma is kind of the universe's way of balancing things. And it really, really does work. But what we have to remember is the universe's plan may not be as immediate as our own. Now, uh, pulling from personal experience in my own life, um, I wrote about this character in my first book. Uh, in fact, uh, my third little secrets is a, is a collection of essays. There's, I think, 34 essays that I wrote and strung together. And one of the pieces is called Criminal. And when I was, you know, in my early 20s and I moved from New York to Arizona, I moved here with a friend who ended up stealing from me, impersonating my identity. I mean, uh, was, he joined the army under my name. I mean, it was one ridiculous thing after another. It was brutal. And um, it's funny because I, I do remember that when uh, he, he eventually ran away, and he, I think he ran to Mexico, and then he came back. It was one theatrical thing after another. And then he had a girlfriend that was waiting for him, and she married him, and she sort of took care of him, and he did fine. And I just remember thinking to myself, here's this guy who did all these horrible things to me and to other people. And then he's got this great girl that waits for him and, and um, ends up uh, marrying him, and then he lucks out again. You know, And I thought, oh, see, this is why I don't even know if I believe in karma anymore. This is completely unfair. But what, what, what's interesting about this story is, you know, I've been around long enough to have kind of caught more pieces of the puzzle and you know it was about eight or nine years after the incident that I had heard from him uh, and he contacted me and he was um, a homeless man he was living on the streets um, no family or friends uh, would have anything to do with him his wife had long divorced him um, he was living a miserable existence as a homeless man. I mean, I even remember he asked me if I would feed him and just talk to him, and I did. I, I, I happened to have off for three days in a row, which was amazing, cosmic synchronicity, of course. And I did. I actually believe in it. I picked him up. I, I fed him. I let him wash his clothes. Um, I talked to him. I kind of actually got to lecture him, too, for a few hours, which was amazing. I think it's like the dream come true when someone is abusive, where you actually get to kind of tell them off in that sense. But what was interesting about the story is he actually began to cry. And I said that to him, and I said, why are you crying? And he said, because you have always been good and kind to me. And I did these things to you, and everyone else has hurt me, and you never really did. And then I did this to you in that sense. And I was like, well, you know, it's like the, it's like the rabid dog. You don't even know what you're doing anymore. But what was interesting about that is that just dissipated all of my anger toward him. You know, I actually let him sleep on the couch. Um, I fed him again in the morning. I helped him find a men's shelter. And I put 40 bucks in his pocket, and I said, Hey, dude, man, don't contact me again until you have your life in order. You know, I forgive you. You know, even though he owed me thousands of dollars, I knew I'd never get back. Um, and I, I forgave him, and it, it freed me so much and and, and it, it brought that to surface about how karma works because not only did he end up living a tremendously difficult life um, but a couple of years after he had gotten married his wife left him for drum roll a woman so you know I, I, I obviously he didn't make his wife gay <laughs> you know you're, you're gay or you're straight you know what I mean you know, you know this whole idea that you know, that you choose that at some level is ludicrous. I mean, you are where you are. You're gay, you're straight, you're bisexual, or you're asexual. You know, there's, no, there's four primary variations that human beings have, heterosexuality being the most common. 
But um, I think, you know, she was always bisexual. So she just got so sick of a lousy guy that she kind of went to women. Or more likely, she just had chosen now to experience the other part of herself that wanted to experience a sexual intimate relationship with a woman. So, uh, but of course for him, that was a double whammy of insult that she, you know, she had left him for a woman and, you know, and uh, so I always kind of thought, you know, everything I wanted to do to hurt him, I never had to. I mean, the universe kind of took care of it. And then when it did, honestly, I wished he really didn't hurt. You know, I don't know. I I just think it's something that, that has come with spiritual evolution that, I don't know. I just don't. I don't really get any joy from 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 people suffering, even if they were mean to me in that sense. I think that beneath the layers of garbage that that can exist with human beings, I think we're all good at a core level, and I think we just do. I think we get messed up along the way. I think people choose, you know, dark paths and dark roads, and and then they they become victimized, and then they victimize others, and. So I think some people choose it. And, it, you know, it's always funny because some people, you know, can go through tremendous difficulty and become these amazing, giving, wonderful human beings who just go the complete opposite. And other people get mistreated or abused, and then they become monsters in that respect. And, you know, the the character that I talked about in, in the, the piece, Paul, um, you know, he's not a monster. He's just a miserable person. You know, I even think that he's probably... Sorry, I'm drinking coffee here at the same time. I'm thinking that he's probably um, somewhat bipolar. In fact, I don't even think he's probably bipolar. I mean, he's really probably bipolar. Um, you know, he's 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 psychologically, emotionally scarred. He's going through difficulty. I mean, I don't really have any bad energy toward Paul. I mean, it's long since passed. And I had mentioned this in the piece also that the same thing occurred with a, I had a lot of anger when I wrote this piece around my credit card debt. But I certainly think that this is a subject and a topic that probably would hit home for a lot of my listeners. I mean, few people have not had some type of, of difficulty with debt and certainly with credit and things of that nature. Um, you know, for a lot of us, especially people here in the West, uh, you know, the uh, housing market, a lot, of, a lot of people are sitting on homes that are worth half what they were worth 10 years ago or or underwater at some level. So I think a lot of us have some element of this going on at some levels. But um, it's funny because I had all this anger toward my credit cards. And, you know, I went through a very interesting process where I ended up picking up a part-time job for two years, making a lot of good extra money, and I obsessively, compulsively paid down my credit card debt. Well, the more I paid the credit card debt down, the more they raised my interest rates, the more they kept trying to get more money out of me, the more I realized it was kind of a never-ending ordeal. So I actually finally made the decision to scrap it, to stop paying the credit cards. So now I have, and that was not an easy decision, by the way. It was something I struggled with for a long time. But when you're juggling multiple jobs and you're knocking yourself out and you're still getting nowhere, you kind of reach a point where you start questioning your own ethics. So I reached a point where I um, I, I stopped paying the credit cards. And now, of course, I have no credit whatsoever Um and I'm, I'm considered lousy on paper, I'm sure. But, you know, what's funny about that is I'm not planning on moving anyway. I'm comfortable in the home, even though it isn't worth anything anyway now because of the lousy market here in Phoenix. Uh, you know, I, I have already bought a car. I don't, I mean, I don't really need to have good credit at this point in the game. In fact, the money I make I actually can use to pay bills. And one thing I know is I'll never even let myself get in credit card debt again. But it's funny because, you know, I'm sure from the bank's perspective – 
I am appalled, uh, or appalling, if you want to find some humor in the wording, but I am the type of person that's looked at as a piece of crap, as a piece of garbage, as someone who, who uh, you know, who uh, reneged on paying off their debt. But what's, uh, what was fascinating about that experience is, is before I made the decision to stop paying the credit cards, I actually kind of went in and I looked at how much I had taken off the credit cards and how much I'd paid in a span of about 20 years. And what occurred to me is I had actually paid the debt off, and in some of the cases, two or three times over. But because of the high interest rates and the other factors and then occasionally pulling more out of it, overall, I had already paid it, just that that's the way the system is set in a lot of cases that you can never get out. So uh, that was very eye-opening to me in that sense, that I was caught in this treadmill trap that I'd never get out of. And I, I was I was at a very, very high amount of debt. It was 60000 or so. And uh, even when I tried, I couldn't get rid of it. But so uh, the point I'm making in this, and this is what I want to bring up for my, a lot of my listeners, because I know a lot of you guys are going through similar types of things at some levels. I mean, we're all trying to do the best that we can. And if, you know, if you had to uh, walk away from a home or you had to, you know, stop paying off a credit card or something like that, for most of us, we're not really necessarily doing it because we're bad. Conditions and circumstances sometimes just make it near impossible to be able to 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 keep on keeping on in circumstances and situations like that. And I suggest if anyone's gone through any type of similar thing, you know, one of the things that you absolutely have to do is you have to forgive yourself for the mistake in that sense. Because, again, I, I think rarely do people go in with the intention and idea of wanting to create something like that. Again, it's more that circumstances create it, you learn as you go, you know, I don't think people really intentionally sort of go in to screw a credit card company or something like that. Even when it comes to, like, marriage, if you married someone who ended up being lousy, well, reality is they probably went in with the same intention as you, that they were going to have a happy life, that they were going to be fulfilled. may not necessarily worked out that way, but I think, by and large, that is, you know, 99% of the time, most people's intention is to be good and to be positive. And then eh, sometimes they slip up along the way or circumstances maneuver them and they, they can turn to a little bit of a darker energy. I think we've all been there at different levels and we can recognize that dynamic. But this idea of forgiveness is what's so key because not only do we want to really, really forgive the people who have abused us, um, but we even in, more importantly, we need to forgive ourselves. A lot of us will really hold on for a long time to self-recrimination in that sense. And even if you did screw up, forgive yourself. Let it go. I mean, don't repeat the mistakes. You know what I mean? Learn from it in that sense. You know, uh, many of us are taught that, um, you know, we, we're, we're bad at some level. And, 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 and in truth, that I, again, I don't think we're, we're bad. I think we, we sometimes do bad things. But I don't think we're bad inherently or evil in any way. So, you know, this character that I wrote about, Paul, you know, a great example. I don't think Paul is evil. I don't think Paul is bad. I think that he's misguided. I think that he's angry. I think he has a lot of darkness. I think that he has a very, very tough time focusing on the positive, and he, he pulls in more of the negative things. And, you know, by the same token, I haven't really heard much or seen much from Paul in the last uh, year or two. Who knows? Maybe Paul's grown. Maybe Paul's changed. You know, it is possible. We all can kind of maybe find some now, I'll be honest, I don't I don't think he probably has. <laughs> Believe me, he was a pretty toxic character. 
but he certainly uh, may have, and we, we've got to give people that leeway. And, and, and the same thing for ourselves, like I said, to be kind, to be good to ourselves. Okay, looks like we're, we're almost up on our time here, so I uh, didn't get any callers today, which is fine. I'll be back here um, next, uh, next week, next Thursday. I'm going to do a show uh, and talk about archetypal schools. Uh, with uh, with a uh, with the tarot, it should be a re- it's going to be almost like a class. So I'd really like uh, everybody to tune in for that, whether live or through the uh, through the archives and catch it. I think it'll be very insightful for you to learn about the tarot and what those archetypal symbols are about. So uh, thank you for tuning in today. Thank you for all my guests who jumped in and out of the chat room, um, and uh, I hope you'll join me again next time. Uh, this is Jim Ventura. If you're interested in getting on my mailing list, feel free to give me an email, and uh, I'll add you to the mailing list so you can read the column when it first comes out. Kind of get to read my books before they're published and in print. And uh, if you want some information about private sessions, absolutely go to my website, uh, web.me.mac.com. You'll find it on the, the info here as well, too. And uh, you can set up a private appointment to do by phone. Or if you're local, you can come in and see me here. All right, thanks again. Jim Ventura saying uh, happy Thursday, and we'll catch up with everybody next time. Cheers.